0: Hey, everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. We are currently in 1 Kings right now. A lot of fun stories. But 1 Kings, we're going to read chapter 17. But before we read that, sometimes whenever I think of 1 Kings, I think of the story of Jezebel. You know, because that's, uh, she's, uh, she's crazy. You know, like um, if you don't know about Jezebel, you're, we're, we're actually reading about her too right now. Uh, but a little before we even know about Jezebel, um, you know, the, in chapter 17, uh, it talks about a widow. And sometimes there's like small stories that we just read through and we pass by. But God is in all these little details. And I just want to share with you what God has been speaking to me through this little detail, 1 Kings 17, 8-16. And I'm reading the NLT version. So if we could put that on the screen for y'all, I'm just going to read it here. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the, val- the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, and he arrived at the gates of the village. He saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I do not have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. And then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. But make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and uh, and the crops grow again. Verse 15. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. So let's break this down a little bit. The widow was facing a dilemma, right? And that dilemma was she was about to enjoy her last meal, and then she was going to die. Basically, she was at the end of her life. Elijah, if you guys were kind of reading this scripture and trying to figure out, okay, where's God in this? Where's God? It might be, th- th- so basically God, um, Elijah represents God in this moment. And th- what God was speaking to me is like, I'm speaking to you through Elijah and the widow represents you. And I want you to take, put yourself in her shoes. And I'm like, okay, let's put, I'm going to put myself in in her shoes and figure out what could possibly, how I could possibly be feeling in this moment. So Elijah, representing God, told her that with what little she has, remember, because she told him, look, I have nothing. I have like a handful, a handful, which is not even a cup of flour, a handful of flour and just a little bit of oil in, in the bottom of the jug. That's all I have. And he told her that with what little she has, you should give it to me. And I just put myself in that position where it's like, uh, what? Like, I just, like, opened my heart to you. I just, like, spilled my heart and my emotions and feelings that I'm about to die. Emphasis on the die, you know. Like, die. Hello. Like, does that matter to you? And then she's, I, I'm pretty sure she's like, uh, I'm kind of a little concerned what you're saying here. But it was literally one more meal and then she had nothing left. Nothing left. And of course, you can't go much further in life with no food you can't it's not going to sustain you so the way I, res- I i'm understanding what he's saying it's interesting because he said, "I want you to give me a little bit first right In other words, what it feels like what he's saying is be- he's basically saying, "I want you to become empty. I want you to empty out everything not for yourself but for me and it's just it's just funny because it's like in reality you think of it. Once she, she's not empty right now, she has a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. But once that's gone, there's nothing else. Which in other words means she's empty. It's like she's gone. Nothing else. But the thing is, where we could uh, in, con, con, consider these moments where God is saying, I want you to give me this to empty this. We could think it's like a wasteful act for ourselves. But in reality, it's not wasteful at all. Because Why? He wasn't just saying, go ahead and eat your food and that's it, you know. He was saying, give it to me. So basically what God is saying, I'm, I want you to give what you have to me. And he, what, the widow, what he was telling the widow was, I want you to make this not just for anything else but for me. Representing God. And then, you know, like what happened after that? When, when he said, okay, I, I want you to do this. This is what God says. She gave it to him. Then what happened? It was never ending. She never ran out. She always had enough flour. She always had enough oil to continue to sustain not only herself, but Elijah. To give to Elijah continuously. And that meaning there will always be Enough. And so today, the sermon, what I got out of this, it's called Empty, as you can see on the screen. I hear the God saying, it's time to empty yourself. But what does that even mean today in our life? Maybe you're here today and you feel empty. Maybe you're here today and you feel like, there isn't much going on anymore in my life. I don't understand what's to come. I'm on the verge of quitting you know, I don't know what you're dealing with, what you're facing, but maybe you're saying, like, I can't do this anymore. You know, it's it's difficult to continue to live this way. Maybe you're confused as to what to do next. You're desperate for a miracle in your life. Hey, I've been there. I literally have been there multiple times. But when I was reading this scripture and preparing the word today, I heard God say, you have two choices, RJ. And I feel like this is for you guys He says, you have two choices. You either run on empty or you become empty. One is a choice. One isn't. And I would say choose the latter one, you know. Choose become empty. Choose it like by choice. Don't just, whoops, I'm empty now. I didn't choose to. It just happened. You know what I mean? And I hear God saying, are you going to just run on empty, running on fumes, or are you going to become empty? We're going to understand why it's so crucial, why the Lord is saying it's time to be empty in this place. But a little bit about the word empty. I don't know about you, but the word empty has such a negative connotation with it, right? And, like, which is totally understandable because, you know, I'll give you an example and show of hands if you enjoy this. But who enjoys an empty tank of gas, especially in this time and age? Like... No one likes an empty tank of gas. What about an empty wallet? That's pretty negative, right? Wouldn't be able to buy gas anyways if we were able to get there, you know, (laughs) with an empty wallet. How about an empty fridge? Thus leading to an empty stomach. I know we all love food and I hate being an empty stomach, you know. But the truth is... Emptiness isn't as negative as we need to perceive it as. Sometimes we could focus on the negative, mainly because the world says one thing, but God says another thing. And and in this moment in the word of empty, God loves to kind of flip it on its head and use it for the kingdom of God in such a way that only he could use something like that. Amen? And so the truth is, emptiness, the way I was seeing it when I was reading this and I realized... Okay, God, you're, sh- you're telling this widow to become empty, what for? And God was telling me that emptiness isn't as negative as you need to see it, RJ. And I'm like, all right. He said, it's an indicator. Emptiness is actually an indicator that something is not accomplishing what it was meant to be. Something is lacking in something. It's an indicator of what you need to do next. I'll go back to the um, example of an empty tank of gas. You know, you're driving down 75 and all of a sudden you hear the ding or however your, your car notifies you, that the light, the, the fuel light goes on. You're like, oh, 15 miles left. You're like, oh, dang it. Like, you don't just go, you don't just see that and you're like, oh, well, I hope I make it for the next few days. And if it's not, I'm going to abandon my car and have to buy a new one. No, it's an indicator to be like, okay, I got to fill up the tank, you know. I got to do something. So what empty indicates is it indicates me, the master of the car, right? So get this. When it shows that it's empty, it indicates me saying, hey, master, it's time to fill me up. It's time to, you know, on- do what only you can do, not what I can. The car can't fill itself up, you know. We might be in that, that yeah, I don't know, like, it, it can't just, like, ignore what we're doing and just veer off and go to the gas station, see the gas pump like float itself way into there. I don't know how to do it. It can't do it itself. Who could fill up the tank? We can, right? You could fill up your own car. And you are that car that it may be empty that only God could fill up. Nothing else in this world, not even yourself, could fill up what is empty inside of you. And I know some of you here feel empty, that something is missing. That maybe you're wondering and and contemplating life and figuring out why am I even here? Why do I do what I do? What about my family? What about my kids? What about my job? What about my financial situation? You're running on empty. But God today wants to fill you up, but I want to help you understand what it means and why it's so important that we need to be empty. So, What God looks for are empty vessels, people who will surrender it all, pour it out. God wants to move powerfully in your life. But emptiness is the key. And how ironic in this world that in order to be fulfilled in life, the world says you got to fill it up with the things you love. You got to find happiness. Find your happiness. Find your truth. And your life will be amazing. But God says... no, empty it, get rid of it, leave it, and you will find true life. What are you emptying yourself of? Better question, what have you been filling yourself up with? I want to talk about one part of a a sermon, I mean, a a parable story in the New Testament. We'll round it up at the end, but... Talk about the Samaritan woman. Whenever I think about this, I think of the Samaritan woman as well, that how she had to keep going back and forth, back and forth to fill up herself up with water from a well, right? And sometimes we are that Samaritan woman that we're constantly trying to fill ourselves up with something else that doesn't sustain us, that doesn't give us life, and and, and once we are running on E, we go back to that place where it gives us a little bit more juice, But is it enough? If it's not Jesus, it isn't enough. It quenched her thirst for a moment, but it never sustained her long-term. We can't live on our old flour and our old oil. It's time to pour it out completely for the new to come. A fresh filling in your life. It's time to fully empty yourself. And Jesus is literally the source. So we're going to go through three main points, what we get from the scripture in 1 Kings. So let's transition back our mind to the Old Testament to find and discover what God is doing, who, where he is, and what he's saying to us. So the first point I have that stood out to me, and it's a little bit more of a prophetic point, and it's don't be afraid. And I feel like God here today is telling you don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what's to come in your life. Some of us are like, what is tomorrow going to look like for me? Because I'm lacking so much in this, because I don't have this, because I'm dealing with this. I don't know what my future looks like. I don't know what my family looks like. I don't know what my financial status looks like. I don't know what the future, anything, you know? But God is speaking to each one of you, don't be afraid. Because in the scripture, he said to her in verse 13, but Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. And I believe that God is speaking that to you today. He told her don't be afraid because he knew that she was unsure of the future. Because well, all, in reality, she only saw death, right, in her and her son's future. That's what she had. That what she had, which is a handful of flour and a little bit of oil, wasn't enough to sustain them anymore. She knew that. That's why she's like, I'm a goner after this. Have you ever been in that predicament where you can't see how a situation can change in your life? And so it can't help but feel anxious, scared, confused. Have you ever felt that way? I know I have. And maybe some of you here today are feeling that. But God wants to change that today. That those moments bring hopelessness in our life. But the way fear can be overcome in our life is by radical and unconditional obedience. It isn't reason. It isn't contemplation. It is obedience. Radical, well, the reason why I say radical, because put yourself in the widow's shoes. It's like, okay, you want me to what? You want me to give the only food that i said that me and my son only has before i die before we die you want me to give it to you if she didn't hear the lord in that moment through elijah didn't obey she would have been like no oh, let me do you, you find your own food somewhere else i'm on my own you know i got to do this for me fear puts me first fear Puts me first and everything out the window, everything God out the window, and maybe you don't even notice it because sometimes that it happens so so like subtly. That's like okay, it's me. Like I, I gotta I gotta make sure I survive. I gotta live. We get into survival mode. Like I, I'm treading water. I'm 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 just scratching the surface. I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to make sure I'm gasping for air. So fear puts me first. I'm going to do what I need to do. And it's a very selfish position to put ourselves in. Fear doesn't just halt us. It makes us all about me. You may be afraid in this season, afraid of the unknown, afraid to relinquish control. But God is saying, don't be afraid. Son, daughter, don't be afraid. And here's the thing. God is so good that he doesn't just tell us you got to obey and I'm not like, you just got to obey even if you don't understand. But God, what, what I always find interesting, like, especially in the Old Testament, God normally when he says don't be afraid, it, it is normally paired up with a promise. It's normally paired up with this is what's going to happen if you do it. He's not going to force you to do something, but he's going to give you a glimpse of what happens in result of you obeying the Lord. I'll give you a few examples. Jeremiah 1.8 says, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. He says, do not be afraid. Promises, I'm going to rescue you. Jeremiah 42.11 says, do not fear the king of Babylon anymore says the Lord, for I am with you and will save you and rescue you from his power. Deuteronomy 31.6, do not be afraid and do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will never, neither fail you nor abandon you. God gives you reasons to trust him and not in fear. To trust him and not in yourself. Because everything outside of God leads to death. And if this widow ignored what Elijah was saying and trusted herself, it was inevitably death. And so today you need to learn to to, to relinquish fear, to to shut the enemy up, and to choose the truth. And to trust in the promise of God. You don't have to trust what you, like, sometimes we don't trust him because we don't see what's happening. But that's not what happens when God says his promise, he says God's going to fulfill it no matter what. Because we have a God who, who doesn't fail or back down on what he says. And sometimes as children, what I want, I wish, and I'm, t- and, and I'm doing the best that I can, that I want Taya and Milo, my kids, to always trust me enough to say, look, I, I want, we got to do this first. Because Taya at the stage where all she wants to do is eat popsicles. Popsicles. Can I have this special popsicle? No, I'm so sorry. You can't because you got to eat dinner. I don't want dinner. I don't want to eat dinner. I want my popsicle. And I tell her, you have to eat dinner because it's good for you. There is no nutritional value in these popsicles. is just sugar. And then who gets the consequences? The parents. We do. So she's just like, I want a popsicle. But I'm telling her. And of course, I just patiently help and help. And it's like, we got to eat this first. If you eat your dinner, I promise you will get your popsicle. Sometimes she believes me, sometimes she doesn't. But sometimes I feel like God is saying, if you just obey me, take a step this way, you will get your popsicle. (laughs) What's your popsicle today? What are you looking for for God? We need to take that step towards God first. We need to be people who lean on and remember the promises God speaks to us. Sometimes we forget that God says, I will give you peace if you just come to me. I will, I will give you strength if you take a drink of my water. Sometimes we forget, you know, I will have everything that you need. Just give it all to me. Sometimes we forget the promises of God because they're so blurred because of the issues that we're facing today. Let your eyes look beyond what's happening in front of you and look to the Heavenly Father. Just look up. Look up to him. So that leads us to our second point, which is practical obedience precedes his promise. 1 Samuel fifteen twenty two says this, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. God is faithful to his promises. Can you guys say that with me? God is faithful to his promises. One more time, speak that to your spirit. God is faithful to his promises. He never backs down on his promise. Not once. Tell me. Tell me when God has not fulfilled his promise that has backed out and changed his mind about something on a promise. It's hard to find because it's not there. God fulfills his promises. It doesn't look like how we always expect it. And who are we to say, God, you need to do it this way anyways. The clay can't tell the potter to do it a certain way. God, I expected my life to be A, B, and C. I expected this much money in my wallet. I expected this many children. I expected to be married at this time. I expected to have this, this identity, this, this lifestyle. Why aren't you doing it? That's not how it works. But God is faithful to his promises, not our expectations. He never backs down on his promises. And it reminds me of the story of Abraham and Isaac. Who knows the story of Abraham and Isaac? One of the first stories ever um, in the Bible in Genesis. And Abraham was this old dude who also had an old wife, right? And God came to them and said, you're going to have many babies. And he's like, what? What? Have you seen me? Have you seen my wife? Have you seen us? We're old, you know. And and humanly speaking, physically speaking, it's difficult to see that promise happen in their life. Right? But God saw beyond that. And, And so he took Abraham on this little walk. He's like, okay, I want you to come over here and look up. He's like, huh? He's like, I want you to count the stars. I want you to count all these things. I want you to see all these. And he's like, <laughs> 10. die lost count. Uh, why? <laughs> he's like, he's like, these are what the descendants are going to be. You know, th- th- this is what it's going to look like that you can't count how much is going to come through you in this moment. And he's like, Okay. And so Abraham obeyed, and a miracle happens. The promise, the, 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 the beginning of the promise happens, and that's through a baby called Isaac, right? And then God tells him, I want you to walk up, this, take this trek, take this summit with me, and we're going to sacrifice something. We're going to sacrifice your son. He's like, hold up. You want me to sacrifice the, the, the door, the gateway to your promise. He's like, uh, yeah. And he's like, okay. He could have totally ignored everything that God said. But he decided to obey. And then he got to that, long story short, he got to that moment and he was about to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And he said, stop. So he stops. And in that moment, it reminds me of the part in in... Going to the New Testament Hebrews 11:19, it says Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. He understood how God operates. He understood that God operates through his promises. And not through what we expect God to do. Abraham expected God. He didn't expect God to say it's time to sacrifice the guy that I, I, I told you that is going to start the promise that I gave you. No. But he obeyed. He obeyed and his promise continued. And look where we are today. Descendants. And let's go back to the scripture of 1st King. Here is the promise God gave her. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers. However, God didn't just solve the problem of lacking enough flour and oil. A- and God knows the problems that you're dealing with. And sometimes we ask, why, why don't you just like... and? Everything's fine. I'm filled with with the flour. I'm filled with the oil. I have everything that I need. I got that job. I got that family. I got that position. Whatever it is that you're looking for. Why aren't you doing it like that, God? And I asked myself that question too. It's like, why didn't you just give her what she needed, Lord? Like, why didn't you just do a miracle and like, you know, like the flour is filled up to the brim. The oil's filled to the brim. But God didn't just solve the problem of lacking enough flour and oil. He didn't. He did eventually. But it's, it's interesting because what God was revealing to me is that God doesn't just want to solve your problems. He wants you. And he wanted the widow to come to him. And what more of a step of love and trust is it to, to just give the thing that you think could sustain your life? To give to God, and, and so the widow needed to obey before God could fill her and his flour uh, with his flour and oil, because I'm pretty sure that God is a big enough God to have already filled it in an instance, right? I'm pretty sure God is big enough to deal with all your issues. But why is it that God doesn't do it right now? Why are you always struggling? Why are you always facing these things? Why am I always dealing with the issues that I'm dealing with? It's because God wants you. Because if he just changes the situation, does that change your heart? Most likely not. not. Not necessarily, you know. In the same sense of Abraham the widow in first kings had to die in order to have life she had to give up what was going to sustain her for a little bit more which in other words represents once she's given it up it means she's dead dead long gone so that represents death okay she needed to die before she could receive life and what was that life that life represents the flower and the oil that God was sustaining her after she died. Giving up the last of her flour and oil represents that. And in this case, you need to think of being empty as a surrender, as a releasing, as of a letting go for God. And there's something that God was speaking to me in this moment, that some things that we need to release is our past. Some of us here are filled with our past. Not that the past... The past is part of who you are, were, I would rather say. Because in God, he gives new life. But some of us here are holding on to that as if it's part of our identity. And some of us here need to release the past. We need to forgive those who have done wrong to us. We need to let go of unmet expectation in our life. What do you, what do we Ask yourself, what do I need to die today in obedience to God? The harvest may not be seen right now, but we need to pour ourselves out, lean on the promise of God, and trust in what He says because He is faithful. He is so faithful. We don't have to understand to obey. Gosh, try telling a toddler to understand first before they obey. Are you kidding me? It ain't going to happen. Which leads us to point three. Being empty precedes being filled. God, here's here's a kicker that God spoke to me. God isn't going to empty you. You empty you. You know, God is not going to force you to get rid. sometimes I've been guilty of this. When we cry out to empty me, I think God's just going to take away things in my life. But what it really means when we cry out, empty me, Father, it means like he shows us how to be emptied. It's like, okay, this is what you, this is how you do it. It's not like I'm just going to like... Take the cap off and then pour yourself out there. Whoa, it's a miracle. You're empty. How did that happen, Lord? No, he wants us to know what we need to empty ourselves out. Because he wants wants you to see what you're giving your heart to. He wants you to see what you're living for. He doesn't just want you to be blindfolded and then walk you over here and be like, surprise, happy birthday. You know, it's like, it's it's not like that. It's like, hey, I want you to see what's happening in your life. Because I want you to see me in every moment here. Being empty precedes being filled. He won't force you to get rid of something inside of you. But he can't really do much for you without you pouring out all of who you are to him. Why? Because it's all or nothing. You can't just give a portion of your life and say you're living for the Lord. And then the other portion of the life is in the world. It's all or nothing. And then in this situation as well, it's all or nothing. Because there's not room for two gods. There's not enough room in this container for two gods. There's only enough room for one. It's either me or not. That's what God says. Elijah came to her, the widow, and invited her To make a little bread for him first. And I'm like, yes, God, you're asking for bread. But not only that. Specifically, he said, I'm asking for a little bread. And this is because he knew it was only going to be a little. Because he knew she had a little. God knows how much you have. And God's not asking for more than what you have. God is just asking what little you have. Give to me. And sometimes we think we put ourselves in that position where it's like, I got to get to this level, to this level, to this level. And then I'll be able to be used by God. Then I'll be able to have a good relationship with the Lord. Then I'll be able to give him everything that he needs. But no, he says start here. That little bit of insignificant life that you think that you can't do anything with, he says, with that little I could do much. Remember the story of the little boy who had what? five loaves of bread and two fish. Hello, this little boy, there's 5,000 people or more, you know, that needed to be fed. And this boy's like, I got my mommy's lunch. He knew, he's like, God knew that that's a little bit. But but also in reality, if you take a step back, that's not going to feed 5,000 plus people. So he's like, okay, just give me what little you have. And that childlike faith of this kid was like, here you go. I don't need it. You need it. Take it. You know, do something. And what happened? Everyone got fed. Everyone went to the buffet of Jesus. And everyone got full. You know, everyone ate everything and they took leftovers. What? You know, it's like God needs nothing more from you but what you already have. That little that you think is insignificant. Even your doubt, okay. Even your doubt you doubt God, you doubt this, just give that little answer of what if. You don't have to be like, I have to fully believe in all that stuff to do it. No, that little answer of what if it's true, give it to God. That doubt, give it to God. The lies that you're you're believing, die to it, give it to God and let God speak truth to you. There's something, everyone has something to offer. And God has everything for you. He knew the widow had little. That's why he said, make me a little bread first. When we empty ourselves of ourselves, we position ourselves to be filled with God. Emptiness is a position. Emptiness indicates our master that we need fuel, that we need to be filled. Because if not, we're not fulfilling fulfilling, no pun intended, what we were really made to be. Which is to be with the Lord, to be filled with God, to live for him. The little you have isn't enough, but it's totally enough for God to multiply. Another way to empty yourself is by cutting things out in your life that keep filling you up with the wrong things Without Jesus as our source, we fill ourselves with the wrong things. Thinking, sometimes thinking and sometimes knowing it's wrong, thinking it's right. But Jesus is the only one that could fill us with everlasting life. Let's go back to that parable of the Samaritan woman. She was this lady that, Basically, she's been sleeping around, and she doesn't even have a husband, and so she's going to this well to quench her thirst, and Jesus is there waiting for her. We won't go deep into that story, but just like we said that every time she would get the the water from the well, it would quench her thirst for a moment, but Jesus had a conversation with her, and and he said, if only you knew the water that I had, you would be asking me for a drink. And she's like, what water is this? And he said, basically, it's the water where you'll never be thirsty again. Everything that you do to fill yourself up that's not God is like the water that the Samaritan woman is going to the well for. But what God is saying in this moment, that's not going to sustain you forever. What is? And he revealed to her. I am. I am the living water. I am your water. All you got to do is come to me and take a drink, and you will be satisfied and you will be filled. Have you ever tried to cut sugar out of your life? What a horrible decision, right? (laughs) It's very difficult. But the thing is about sugar, it's like a drug. You know, it's like our body craves sugar, especially once sugar keeps coming into our body. And it's just like we keep wanting sugar. But in order to fight the craving of sugar, you got to replace it with something else. Right? You got to, you got to. Let go of the donuts. You got to let go. Ironically, we have donuts. But eat them. Eat them all. Start tomorrow with the sugar diet, okay? We don't want these donuts left. No, but let go of the donuts. Let go of the, the sugar and all that stuff. And start eating the healthier side of things, right? But the thing is, you can't have both and feel like it's going to work out. Something needs to be cut out of your life. You need to starve yourself from the nasty sugars in, that your body does not need and start to crave the things. And the only way you crave something is if you constantly eat it. Eat it. Eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it. And then you're like, I'm craving an apple for some reason, not a donut. It's a miracle. You know, like it, it, your cravings can change. Your cravings for God could change. But you have to cut out the cravings of this world in order to crave the right thing in God. And before we close, I just kind of want to give you an idea. Like, I want you to think let's say you have a cup, a, a glass cup with an ounce of cooking oil in it, right? An ounce of oil, grease, whatever it is, because you filled it up with something, and it's your only cup for some reason in the house. I don't know why. But let's just say it's your only cup, and it's filled with grease, and you are thirsty. And you're like, I got my pitcher of water. Okay, just follow me on this. And I have no other cup to use. Oh, there's my cup of grease. Who in their right mind would just be like, here we go, pour it in, and I'm going to drink it with the grease still in it? No. What you do, you don't just pour it in the, the water in. What do you do first? You get rid of that oil. You dump out that oil. You clean it out. You purify that cup, you know. You pray over it. and no, I'm just kidding. You, you, you get it all clean. And then that, that cup is like, all right, I got a clean dish to, to use to satisfy what I'm thirsty for. And that's how God operates. He wants empty vessels. And that's why it's important for us to realize we need to, like that cup, pour out the rest of that grease and that oil. No, don't operate only in that little that you have, but pour it out unto the feet of Jesus. Let the Lord purify your heart, change you, and then be filled with the touch of Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're filled with unmet expectations from God or from other people or even from yourself. You're not where you want to be. Things aren't as they used to. Maybe you're dealing with anger today and you're just so angry and you don't know where this anger came from and you're dealing with it. What about insecurities? You're holding on to certain insecurities because it makes you feel you. What about lacking of something? dissatisfaction. I mentioned it earlier, but living in the past. What if you need to empty yourself from any of those things and more? I don't know your heart. I don't know your life. You know where you're at. You know who knows you even better? Our Father. He knows your heart. He could show you what you need to empty yourself of, what you're running on E with. What about a dream? A dream you're holding on to, and it's getting in the way of God's dream for you in your life. What if that's what you need to empty yourself? God is, I really hear God saying, that he wants to fill this generation up. But we need to be a generation of empty vessels. Who are purified and cleansed that only Jesus could do. And, and, and it says in, in Chronicles that he searches far and wide for those who are ready. The hearts are ready for him. And I see that this is what he wants us to do. is to be empty and that is an indicator to him to say oh i need to fill that up i need to fill him up her up i need to fill my daughter up my my child because they have emptied themselves oh you got my attention sometimes we think attention's like god over here i pray really hard that blah 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 but it's like a good indicator of of to grab god's attention is like god i'm ready i am a new vessel empty vessel for you God wants to fill you up. So once you've emptied yourself, it's like he, he got that, that fuel tank indicator. Ding. Got an empty one here. Let's fill that person up ding oh they're empty too they just emptied themselves from expectation and brokenness and anger let me fill them up with joy with peace with purpose ding i just, this person has just emptied themselves from their insecurity and their selfishness it's time to give them give them life and raise them up to be who they were called to be pour myself out unto you today god wants to pour himself out unto you but he cannot pour his pure water into a cup filled with grease and oil, it's time to empty yourself today. It's time to empty yourself today, church. And as a piano player comes up, we're just going to get ready for ministry time. But I want you guys to just close your eyes in this moment. When I think of the word empty, when I think of, a, of this sermon, this, the, the, what God is speaking, I think of the story of Mary and the alabaster jar, that she had everything. And just a quick little synopsis of of what the story was all about. Mary came to Jesus with her alabaster jar. And an alabaster jar held perfume, the most expensive perfume ever. But also it represented her life. Because Mary, as a prostitute, her life was in that bottle. That was the way they ran their business. The perfume to smell good for their customers. That was her life. But she knew something that I can't be filled with God until I empty my whole life unto him. So what does she do? Out of the inconvenience of carrying this very heavy alabaster jar, traveled from one point to another where she was uninvited, that she was probably going to be judged, that she was going to be ridiculed, fingers pointed, saying, how dare you, the sinner, come in this area? But Jesus' response was so different. He said, my daughter, you have prepared me for burial. You have expressed your love to me by giving up your whole life. And God filled her. And today there are some of us here who are like Mary, who are like this widow that realized life, It's not as grand as I was trying to make it to be. But Jesus could give me the life I've been looking for. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.